0: The following message was recorded at Christ Church in Bartlett, Tennessee. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.ccbartlett.org. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you for this opportunity to to be here again, uh, to hear your word, to hear from you. Uh, So Lord, I ask that um, whatever might distract us, uh, that Lord, through your spirit, you would uh, bind that from us now, that you would remove that from us now, Um, That, Lord, we would be fully present here with you now. Not thinking about later, not thinking about our obligations this week. Um, We would be fully present with you now here. Um, So, Lord, just have your way. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I'm, uh, uh, tomorrow I'm getting on a plane to go visit my brother. He lives in Chicago and, uh, I love flying. I love everything about flying. I, I, I love the, uh, uh, the magazines that, that you buy in the airport that you would never buy at your house. Right. I, I love the, the, uh, going through security. Right. I feel kind of dangerous. You know what I mean? Like, what do I have? Right. And I, I love everything about flying. I love sitting by the window. I love sitting on the aisle. I like sitting in the back. I like sitting in the front. I I love flying. I don't know what it is. Ever since I was a kid, I was fascinated with it. The fact that I'm, I'm sitting in a chair in the sky is pretty cool, all right? That hasn't lost its effect on me yet. But you know what I don't love? I don't love flying with kids, all right? That is not something I'm, I'm all about, right? I don't care if it's somebody else's kid. I don't care if they're screaming their, their head off or whatever. I bought a coach ticket. I deserve it, right? Like, I'm okay with that. I'm still, I'm in a chair in the sky and a baby screaming. Like, that's still pretty amazing. But when it's my kids, I get a little nervous. We took a trip, I believe it was last year, where Angela said, hey, I've got good news. We're, uh, uh, we're going on a cruise. My, my job is sending us on a cruise. And I was like, man, this is, this is great news. Well, the bad news is we're gonna have to fly with Max. And I was like, this is not great news, right? And so we had to fly, and we had a connecting flight. So that's four total flights that we were going to have to get through. And there was, a, a, I was just ner- I was super nervous. Well, after we get off the flight, people are coming by just telling us, I'm just so impressed. I can't believe that that your kid acted so well. And, and I have a little secret. I had to tell him. I said, don't thank me. You need to thank SpongeBob. I would pull out my iPad, and we just watched hours of SpongeBob, and he was just right? Like it just had him, right? And and my kids, all of my kids, including my twins, they are, they're very easily distracted by screens. I think they get that from their mother. And I, I was raised like, I was pretty much raised by the TV, right? Like we watched hours and hours and hours of TV and, and, and I just, I, I loved it and it would, it would pacify me. But here was the problem. It didn't make me the best reader, okay? There was only one book I can remember reading as a kid. It was The Time Machine and I pretty much compared every, book to that I'd say oh that sounds like an interesting book does it does it have like subterranean half ape human people right that are stealing kids does it have it doesn't I don't want to read it right so I just I didn't read a lot but then God in his providence brought along something called a kindle right and this thing it's a it's a it's an e-reader right like I can read all my books gospel recovering the power that made Christianity revolutionary Another book, The Explicit Gospel. Another book, The Gospel's Power and Message. Another book, Gospel-Centered Discipleship. Another book, The Ragamuffin Gospel. Another book, What is the Gospel? And another book, Gospel Deeps. Can you, do, you, do you see the theme there? It's not, do you get it there? It's gospel, right? There are tons and tons of books on the gospel. Now, even though my brain is now fooled into thinking that if I'm reading on an iPad, it's not really reading, you're you're playing with your iPad. Even though I have that, you know what? It's still really, really hard to read uh, a lot in, in my house. I have three kids. Have you ever tried to read when three kids are awake? It's like sitting in the middle uh, of, a, of a wrestling ring with just a bunch of midget wrestlers jumping all over you, right? Like, Like it's just not, it's not easy to do, right? If you're like, that's offensive. There's there's something called the Extreme Midget Wrestling Championship. Look it up. I Googled it. It wasted two hours of my life, right? But anyway, like it's really, really hard to read a lot. You know what I could use though? I need to read more about the gospel. You know what I could use though? I could use a postcard about the gospel. That's what I need. If I had a ton, if I just had a postcard that just had a brilliant depiction of the gospel on it, right, I could read that, right? I could have like, one kid just like pile driving the other kid or whatever. Like I could, I could handle, I could change a diaper and read a postcard, right? Well, here's the good news. We're going to be looking at a book in the Bible that I've heard referred to as a postcard with a punch, right? Turn to the book of Philemon. Turn to the book of Philemon, Right? And we're gonna read uh, this together. There's a if you don't have a Bible, there should be some under your seats. The white Bibles, take that. Um, that's our gift to you. If you use it, you touched it. We don't want it back. All right. So just take it. That's our gift to you. We're gonna be in the book of Philemon. This letter from Paul to his brother Philemon. Um, and we're we're actually gonna read this whole book together today. So by the way, kids, you want to impress your grandparents? Listen up. You call them and act real nonchalant and just say, hey, how's your weekend been? What'd you do this weekend? And when they talk about like watching Judge Judy or whatever they do, then you can say, oh, really, that's cool. I just read a whole book of the Bible. No big deal, right? But then hang up real quick before they ask which one it is, all right? But just be like, yeah, I just read a whole book of the Bible. It's gonna be awesome. Um, That's what your pastor taught you, pride. Read Philemon, all right? Let's read the story together. Verse one, Paul a prisoner for Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier. If you are pregnant right now, name your child that it's been decreed, Uh, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's stop, what have we learned so far? Paul is a prisoner at this point. He's writing this as he is is a prisoner and Philemon apparently is a brother in Christ, all right? So he's a believer and he also hosts a church in his home. All right, let's keep reading, verse 4. So Paul is saying that, Philemon, your love for Jesus and your love for the saints, it, it's palpable, all right? Like, it is incredible, right? It is something that deeply encourages me, and, and, and I, I, this is incredible. I, I hope this can be said to me. Look at verse 7. Because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, refreshed, encouraged. The, the Greek word literally gives this picture of rest. So the believers around him that come in contact with him, they feel rested. They feel, they, they, they feel comforted. They feel supported. Man, I had a conversation with a, a friend of mine just the other day about, he just quickly mentioned, you know, I'd like to teach my kids to be good friends right? I want to teach him to be a good friend. And I think the way we do that is, is just in increments, just little examples of, of what a good friend does and, and how to live that out. Man, I want to be a friend like Philemon. Are you joking? When the believers came in contact with him, they left refreshed. Can that be said of you? That, that when, when your friends come in contact with you, they feel supported they feel like their burdens are, are, are lifted, not that burdens are added to, right? Can they walk away and feel refreshed? What a challenge to us. Let's keep going. Accordingly, though, verse 8. Accordingly, though, I'm bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet... but I preferred to do nothing without your consent, in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this, perhaps, is why he is parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord? So Onesimus apparently is is a slave of. of Philemon, and um, he is a he. He has left Philemon. Now I've heard this preached different ways. I've heard this preached that that he was a runaway slave, that he was a, a fugitive. I, I don't know if that's exactly true or not. There's evidence we found now that uh, uh, from writings from first century and second century Rome uh, that shows that that slaves in the first century started to have legal rights that they could leave their master to go find uh, uh, if they were felt they were being mistreated. They could legally leave their master to go to their mother. How about that? To run to their mom uh, and get their mom to testify on their behalf that their son or daughter is being mistreated. They could also leave to find a um, friend of their master to, uh, to be an advocate for them so that they could be treated better. Paul certainly would fall under the category of friend of Philemon. So I don't know if he was a fugitive but he definitely has left his master, right? And by God's providence, he was led to Paul. Look at what Paul said. Look back at verse 15. For this perhaps is why he has parted from you for a while that you might have him back forever. Paul says, look, this is God's plan for him to leave and to come to me. So whether he ran and found Paul, which would be incredible, but the Lord can do it, or whether he ran and intentionally found Paul, this was the Lord's doing. And Onesimus became very helpful to Paul. He became a believer and became very helpful to Paul. Paul, and Paul loves him dearly. He says, "I'm sending him back to you. I'm sending my very heart." He loves him dearly, and Paul lovingly does not demand that Philemon does the right thing. He could. He could say, "I'm an apostle, and by by apostolic authority, I command you to release him." He absolutely could, but he doesn't. Why? For love. For love. He doesn't do that. He he requests that he receives him in the Lord. And this is an interesting thing. Just a side note real quick. You'll see that Paul never openly addresses slavery in the sense of abolition. He never says, like, I'm going to take up this cause of ending slavery. What does he do? What's he doing here with Philemon? He trusts that the gospel will overcome slavery. That the hope to end slavery is not some political movement. The hope to end slavery, to make all things right, is Jesus. It's incredible. It's incredible testimony to us. Let's keep going in verse 17. So if you consider me, your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he's wronged, with, if he's wronged you at all or owes you anything, listen to this, underline this, bold this, whatever you got to do, mark this in your Bible, charge that to my account. I, Paul, I write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of you owing uh, me even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. So Paul says, listen, when Onesimus comes back, you accept him like you would accept me. He's a brother just like I am. He is a believer. He is in our family. You accept him back. And then Paul does something incredible. He says, if he's wronged you at all, if he's stolen, if he's cost you money, if he's broken anything, anything at all, you charge that to me. I will repay it. At this point, he was probably uh, uh, just, just say he was having someone um, write his letter for him. He takes the, the quill, the pen, whatever away from him and he begins to write with his own hand. And he says, listen, I will repay. I sign my name to him and to his debt. It's, it's incredible. It's, it's an incredible show of love. And he says, I will repay. This is what I want. This will refresh me in the Lord. Keep reading verse 21 confident of your obedience I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say at the same time prepare a guest room for me for I'm hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you I don't think in verse 21 Paul was patronizing Philemon I don't think he was saying like like we say to our kids right like like you will clean your room I know you will right? You know what I mean? Like, it's it's more of a threat. I don't think Paul's saying that. I think Paul really is assured of Philemon's love for Christ and love for the saints. And when he sees his brother, Onesimus, come back as his brother, he'll accept him in that way. I think there's confidence in Paul. I don't think he's patronizing. And then he says in verse 22, he says, but prepare a guest room for me. Now, Paul isn't like, hey, you need to make sure that I've got fresh sheets or I'm not coming, right? Paul's in jail, okay? Paul's not acting like that. But what Paul is saying is, look, like we can do sometimes, he's saying, I know you're gonna accept him, but I don't need you to accept him eventually. I need you to immediately reconcile with him. I need you to embrace him and love him because you know what, I'm coming. And you don't wait till I show up, right? to, to you get, do things the right way. You do things the right way right now. You reconcile immediately. Don't put this off. When he comes back, you love him, you embrace him. It's an incredible picture. And then he ends with final greetings. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so does Mark, um, Aristarchus, uh, Demos, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with your spirit. Now, this is a phenomenal story, a phenomenal letter, right? And this story should resonate with us because Onesimus' story is our story. He's a, he's a runaway slave, fugitive or not. He's a runaway slave and he absolutely at this point is an enemy of Philemon. And we were God's enemies. James 4, 4 says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Romans 5, 10 says, for while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. So we were an enemy of God, just like Onesimus, is an enemy of Philemon here, and there's a debt that he can't pay. I, I don't know what uh, Onesimus did. I don't know if he, if he wronged Philemon. I don't know if he stole from him. I don't, I, I don't know. I don't know if he, if he borrowed money from him for this travel, this huge trip, this expensive trip that he was going to take, but, but here's what I know. He cost him something. He definitely cost him something. Could you imagine if one of your workers just said to you, let's say you own a business. He just said, you know what? I'm out. I'll see you in a month right, and just takes off, is that going to cost you something? Yes. It's going to cost you time as you try to replace him. It's going to cost you money, right? Maybe you have to hire somebody, two people, whatever, to take his place, right? It might cost you clients. So so definitely this cost him something. And, and I would say that in the life of a slave, it's hard to repay something like that. So could he possibly repay this debt? I, I don't think so. And for us, we were the same way. Could we possibly repay the debt that we owe the Lord? I don't think so. Romans 6.23 says this, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We had a debt we couldn't pay. We had a debt we couldn't pay before the Lord. But then, just like in our lives, in Onesimus' life, a peacemaker enters. Paul says, charge it to my account. I will repay could Paul really repay, did, was Paul just rolling in it, right? Was Paul just sitting around just like, you know, just making it rain, right? Like did Paul just have just countless amounts of wealth? No, not at all. Paul, he, he relied on people to support him. Paul built tents, right? I don't imagine that tents really sold for that much, right? Could, could he possibly like just easily repay him? Not easily, but would he repay him? absolutely. Could Philemon uh, uh, demand some just exorbitant amount of payment that would, would cause Paul to, to, to change his life to repay this debt? Potentially. If we're talking about money here, could, would Paul potentially have to work the rest of his life to pay that debt? Potentially. But Paul says what? I will repay it. I will pay this debt. What Onesimus can't pay, I will pay, regardless of the cost to myself. Jesus did the same for us. He paid our ransom. Mark 10:45 says, "For even the Son of man did not come to be served, but what? But to serve and to give his life as what? A ransom for many." I can't pay my ransom right? How many people in captivity can pay their ransom? You think if they could, they'd be in captivity? No, you're, you're at the complete mercy of someone coming to pay your ransom. And Jesus says, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve and I came to die to pay your ransom. I came to do what you couldn't do. Phenomenal, incredible story. Jesus says, just like Paul said, if you don't remember another phrase I say, remember this. Jesus said, just like Paul, charge it to my account. What Grant has done. Charge it to my account. That death, I'll die. I'll pay it. Charge it to my account. Let that sink in for a second. Just think about that. That's you. Just think about that. Jesus says to the Father, on your behalf, put your name in there right now, whatever it is. Think about that. Their sin, that debt, that death, Charge it to me, I will pay it. I will die that debt, phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. And listen, why did Paul do that? Love, what does he say in verse 10? I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. He sees him as a son, verse 12. I'm sending him back to you, saying my very heart, why did Jesus do what he did for us? Love, 1 John three sixteen. This is how we know what love is. This is how we know what love is. That Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. He says, charge it to my account. And Onesimus now, he's new. He's coming back, not not a useless slave, right? Paul calls him that. He says, he was useless to you. He's not coming back as a slave. What's he coming back back as now? He's coming back as a useful slave brother and think about that that's what we are now we're part of God's family John 1 12. but to all who did receive him who believed in his name he gave the right to become children of God we are now God's children because Jesus paid our debt this is our story Philemon is our story you should read Philemon, and by the end of it, you shouldn't you should be able to read because your eyes should just be welling up with tears. This is our story. Jesus said, charge it to my account. And now we're God's children. We're no longer fugitives. We're no longer runaways. We're no longer slaves, although how gracious would that be for God to accept us back as slaves? He goes further, and he says, you're now my kids. You're my children. It's, it's incredible. But there's another thing about this letter that really inspired me. You say, another thing? Yeah, we could end right there. We could sing a thousand songs after that, and we would be good. But, but there's something else here. There's so much more here. But there's something else here that really challenged me, really inspired me here. And, and here's what it is. The three main characters we're talking about, Philemon, Onesimus, and Paul, the, the three main characters here, they're living, breathing examples of what the gospel lived out looks like. They're living breathing examples of what the gospel lived out looks like. We can read books about the gospel all day. We can talk theology we can we can uh, uh, sit around and and um, just talk about theories and 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 potential applications and all that but But forget that these are living, breathing people who believe the gospel and it changed the way that they. Lived And so I'd like to look at those three people and exactly what the gospel lived out looked like for them. The first one, I'm going to look at Onesimus, the slave. What did the gospel of Jesus do for the way he lived? Well, here's what it did. He stopped running from doing the right thing. He stopped running from doing the right thing. What's the right thing to do? The right thing is for him to go back to Philemon, his, his master at this point, go back to Philemon and settle up, and to to do what's right. Could this cost him? Absolutely. It could cost him his freedom. It could cost him his future. It could cost him his life. But he was done running from doing what was right. He was going to do what was right from now on. It sounds a lot like we, we talked about Micah 6, 8 before. What does the Lord require of us? But to do justice, to love kindness, and walk humbly with our God. It sounds like he's doing the due justice. He wants to do what is right. It sounds like what the gospel's done for Onesimus is it's made him fearless when it comes to doing what is right. How in the world could he be fearless and doing what was right? Here's how. He trusted that Jesus was for him. He trusted that Jesus was for him. Romans eight thirty one. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He knew that Jesus would stand with him in Colossae as he approached his former master. He knew that whatever decision Philemon made about his situation, Jesus really sets him free. He knew that whatever Philemon called him, Jesus would still call him child. And he knew that Jesus held his future, not Philemon. Right? He knew that Jesus was for him. We're a lot like Onesimus, and that we constantly run from doing justice, from doing the right thing. It's easier to keep my mouth shut and pretend everything's okay than to confess my sin, do the right thing. It's easier to talk to my friends about how much sports mean to me, right, and how amazing the Atlanta Braves are, we all know that they are than to talk to them about how amazing Jesus is. It's easier to cut people off and let our relationships be shallow than to do the right thing and to put the hard work in on reconciling with them. It's easier to keep people at arm's length than to get to know them, be confronted with injustices and things that we can do something about. I'll give you an incredibly embarrassing example from my life. Um, I've told you this before that when I was in college, I worked at Sears. I, I sold appliances um, And there were a couple of girls who worked with me, and they were uh, 18 years old. Both of them were 18 years old, and they both had two-year-old children. Um, they, they weren't married. The, the father um, wasn't around, and they were just working to support um, their kids. They, they weren't able to, to seek an education because they were trying to take care of their kids. They didn't really have family to watch out for them. And, you know, the more I got to know them, the more I saw the difficulties they faced. The more I saw the problems that they faced, the injustices that they lived. And so you know what my response was? It was to keep them at arm's length. It was, I don't want uh, to hear about that. I don't want to talk about that. And why did I do that? Why did I run from doing what was right? Because, well, I, you know what? I don't want to hear about your family problems. I got my own family problems, right? I, I don't, I don't want to hear about your financial problems. i got my own financial problems, right? But why did I really run away from doing the right thing? I, I didn't trust that Jesus was for me. I didn't trust that he put me in the situation with these girls not for me to fail or to be overwhelmed by their needs and then not be able to provide for my own family. He put me in this situation to succeed and to love them well. Why? Because Jesus doesn't want me to fail. Jesus doesn't set me up to fail. Jesus is for me. Amen. Right? And I didn't believe that and I ran. So we need to trust that Jesus is for us. Paul, let's look at Paul and how the gospel affected him. I remember we said Micah 6, 8, do justice and what love, kindness. When Onesimus found Paul, uh, he's probably saying, you know what? Your buddy over there, he's not treating me right. You know, like he is just not, he's not what I, I want. Like I don't deserve this. I deserve better. You know, I, it's okay that I took what I took because he doesn't give me enough, right? And, and what does Paul think about Onesimus as a slave? Look at verse 11 formerly he was useless to you so so paul says look as a slave you're not even a good one all right like like he just finds all kinds of fault with this guy so what does paul do paul doesn't say i got my own problems man i'm in jail okay look around where do you think we are I mean, I'm in jail right now. I got my own problems. I got all kinds of churches around here that I got to look after. You won't even believe what's going on in Corinth right now. Do you understand? I got stuff to deal with. He doesn't do that. What does he do? He shares the gospel with him, loves him deeply, shows him great kindness, great mercy. And then what does he do? He fights for him and he fights hard for him. It's incredible. Look here. He says in verse 18 and 19, what does he say? If he's wronged you at all, if he's done anything, any, any debt, whatever it is, charge it to me. I sign my name to him. Why would Paul do that? Because he didn't just trust that Jesus was for him. What did he do? He also trusted that Jesus is for his family. Jesus is for his family. That's Jesus' family. Paul said, this guy is my brother now, and I'm going to fight for my brother Paul didn't say, you know what, this guy doesn't know Jesus. I'm going to sign a blank check and hand it over to him. That's foolish. And I think that the Proverbs would agree with me that that's foolish. But Paul says, this is my brother, and I'm going to fight for my brother. Remember what the scriptures say, that we are now children of God. And Paul remembered that Jesus prayed for his family to be unified. You remember that prayer? I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through the word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So he remembers we're family, we're one together. So Paul remembers his own words that he wrote to the church in Galatia at this point. He already wrote, brothers, if anyone's caught in any Transgression, You who are spiritual should restore him. In a spirit of gentleness, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. John MacArthur um, wrote about this, caring for one another. He says, when someone staggers, we help steady the load. If he's straining, we help bear the burden. If he stumbles, we lift him up. Helping fellow believers carry the weight of the worldly troubles is one of the chief practical duties that ought to consume every Christian. Why? Because we're family, and that's what family does. When my brother calls me and he's having a crisis, I don't send him to voicemail. What do I do? I answer, right? Because he's family. It's what we do. If my parents are dealing with something, I don't sit there and pretend like everything's hunky-dory. I'm there for them. Why? Because we're family. It's what we do. In the same way, as believers, we need to remember that Jesus died to make us a family. So when my brother needs me, I'm there. When my sister struggles, I'll help her. When my brother's hiding, I'm going to go find him. And I'm going to fight for you. Why? Because you're family. That's what we do. We fight for family. That community, according to Paul, what does it say? That community does what? That community fulfills the law of Christ. That community changes the world. That community does. Let's look at Philemon, our our last character here in this story. So I I imagine Philemon standing there. All of a sudden, there's a couple of men standing in front of him. One of them is a slave, Onesimus. He hadn't seen in a long time. And the other other companion, traveling companion, is holding a letter. He says, here's this one's for the church. This one's for you. I need you to read this, right? So he reads, he reads his Paul's letter, and, and now he has a choice to make. He says, I can accept him as a brother in Christ, forgive him, forgive his debts, and lose him as a servant, or I can accept him as a servant, ignore what God has done, and hold on to this grudge. We don't know what he did, but I trust, like Paul, that he did the right thing. Maybe I'm a sucker for, for a happy ending. I don't know. You know what I mean? But, but I, I think. let me tell you what I think he did. Why I think he did that. I think he accepted him back because, look at verse 5. Because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. Skip to verse 7. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because of the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. I, I believe he did the right thing because this man is a man that's compelled by love. He loves Jesus so much that he loves his brothers and sisters. He loves his brothers and sisters so much that he treats them so well that they're refreshed. So Onesimus, he trusted that Jesus is for him. He trusted that Jesus is for his family. Uh, Paul trusted that Jesus is for his family and Philemon trusts that Jesus is for loving action. How did Paul appeal to Philemon? Did he say, I'm an apostle, you better listen up and I'm gonna come get you, man, right? Now, what does he say? For love. He says, though I'm bold enough in Christ to command you to do what's required, yet for what? For love's sake, I appeal to you. Why? Because Philemon is motivated what? Not by fear, but by what? He's compelled by love. Verse 15 through 16, what? He says, "Uh, you might have him back forever. No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant. What? Not just as a brother. What? A beloved brother. Paul trusted that the question Philemon would ask himself when standing with Onesimus, standing right there in front of him, the question he would say would be this, what is the most loving thing I can do? What's the most loving thing I can do? Why? Because Philemon was a man compelled to action by what? By love. He wasn't compelled by hurt feelings. Well, Onesimus was rude to me and he just ran off, right? He didn't say things like like we say, well, I'm going to say this or I'm going to do this because she did this to me or he did this to me. No, he wasn't compelled by hurt feelings. He wasn't a man compelled by reputation. If I accept Onesimus back, I'm going to look like a joke that I just let my slaves run off, do whatever they want, and then they come back whenever they please, right? He didn't say that like, like we so many times, we think if I apologize first, then it's gonna look like, like I was wrong and I know I was right. He wasn't motivated by reputation and he wasn't motivated by selfish gain. He says, you know, if I forgive him, if I free him and I accept him as a brother, I'm gonna, it's gonna cost me a lot. I'm just gonna lose some money, quite frankly, right? And, and maybe we think like, if I'm generous, then I don't get what I want right? If I give my time to that, then I have to sacrifice my time over here, and I really like my time over here. But he's not motivated by her feelings. He's not compelled by reputation. He's not compelled by selfish gain. Philemon's compelled by one thing, and it's love. Philemon's compelled by love. And maybe a good question for us to ask ourselves regularly, those who believe the gospel, lives have been changed by the gospel, a question to ask ourselves regularly is this, what is the most loving thing I can do? If I, maybe you should say this this week, if I was compelled by love at work, not compelled by, by getting ahead, not compelled by, by promotion or money, if I was compelled by love at work, what would I do differently this week? If I was compelled by love with my family, what would I do differently when we sit down at the dinner table? If I was compelled by love in my neighborhood, not compelled by having the best lawn on the block, right? Not compelled by, by, by just sticking, I just, wanna, I just want people to stay out of my business. But if I'm compelled by love in my neighborhood, what am I gonna do when I walk around this week? Maybe you ask, if I was compelled by love with the people in this room right now, what would I do differently today? We need to be people compelled by love. If I could sum up this whole letter I would say the main message of Philemon is this. If I I could sum this up, and keep in mind, this comes from a very simple brain, right? If I could sum it up, it'd be this. The gospel changes everything. The gospel changes everything. For God so loved the world that he gave his son that whoever believes in him will not perish, though they deserve it, will not perish, but have eternal life. That has implications and consequences that stretch into every area of our lives. And if it doesn't, then maybe you don't know the gospel. The gospel changes everything. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word today. I thank you for the, this, this little letter. This little postcard. Um, I thank you that, that we have examples of brothers in the faith. Who were just living it out. Feeling it along. There's the gospel in the trenches. Like real life stuff. Real hurt feelings. Real, real stakes. Real, real sacrifices here. And yet they let the gospel change everything. Lord, my prayer is that we as believers, those who believe in you and have trusted you and have surrendered to you, that, Lord, we would look at our lives, and, Lord, you'd reveal to us the areas of our lives that, that we're quarantining from the gospel, and we're not letting it change that relationship. We're not letting it change that ambition. We're not letting it, it, it change that course of our life. That Holy Spirit, you'd bring deep conviction and you'd break those walls down. And Lord, we would be walking, living, breathing examples of what the gospel looks like in flesh and blood. Lord, I, I also want to pray for those in this room that um, they haven't surrendered to this gospel. They don't know your forgiveness. They don't know... A new life. Maybe they're like Onesimus at the first part of this letter. Maybe maybe they're running. They're trying really hard to do the right thing, but Lord, if they're honest, they don't know if they're your child or not. If they're honest, they don't have confidence that that they know you. They don't have confidence that if something were to happen to them today, they don't have confidence they they could stand before you and you'd accept them. They don't know the gospel. They haven't surrendered to you. They haven't given you their lives. My prayer is if if that's somebody in this room, they would know that um, they can do that right now. They can surrender their life to you right now. They can be changed forever right now. They can walk out of this room a child of God now and forever, never looking back. Lord, give them the courage to to trust you with their lives. Give them the courage to to just right now, in their own words, just ask ask your forgiveness surrender their lives to you and just follow you from now on. Forget the past and looking at you for their future. So, Lord, I I just love you. I I thank you for your word here today. Um, And, Lord, just, just guide us in this response time. Help us respond however you've called us to respond. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.